0: Appamada and its programs are supported by your generosity, and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org. Thank you.
1: Good morning. It's so good to see you here, and uh, I know uh, in Austin. There's still so many people without power and internet. And I know Geneve has suffered below zero weather, and she's still here. Um, I'm glad that those of you who are able to be here are here and uh, best wishes to everybody um, in Austin who's still having weather problems. Um, also, I want to thank Maria so much for being monitor and everything she does, and Kim for helping me personally in so many ways and making sure this happened and so many other things happened here for us. Um, So I was so happy um, to, uh, when I learned what the theme for our practice period is, um, living by vow, living by the Bodhisattva vow, because it, it is a, a, a topic that's really close to my heart. And just to have it fresh on our mind, I would like for us to recite it together as we begin here. And if Maria could screen share it. Okay. So with hands in Gosho. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to embody it. Beings are numberless, we vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, we vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, we vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, we vow to embody it. Beings are numberless, this vow frees them all. Delusions are inexhaustible, this vow ends them all. Dharma gates are boundless, this vow enters them all. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, this vow embodies it. So Maria, when you get a a chance, you can just remove that from the screen so we can see each other. Thank you. So what attracted me to Buddhism was the Bodhisattva vow and the understanding that awakening is not simply for oneself, but simultaneously for everyone. The understanding that we are so connected to one another that the process of awakening is only possible within this very connection. This idea was not completely absent uh, in the yogic guru-based path that I was on, but it was not emphasized. What was emphasized was enlightenment as a sort of blissful light show, just for me, a blissful ending to the suffering of my life. And from this lofty position, Perhaps I could guide others to their own personal light show. Awakening was primarily about me and only secondarily about others. And then after years of meditation, I gradually came to understand that light shows have nothing to do with awakening, nothing at all. I came to believe that awakening is an ongoing process, a journey we undertake together. And because that's the, and we do this together because that's the only way, a remembering of what we already know. And I love it that the only end game, the only final destination is carrying water, chopping wood. In other words, life as it is. Together our understanding of life just keeps going deeper, each of us at our own pace as we help each other along the way. Awakening and living by vow are inseparable. This vow is to free all beings from suffering, which necessarily includes freeing ourselves as well. It is living by vow that takes us deeper and deeper into life as it is. So bodhisattvas, bodhisattvas are known for their compassion, but bodhisattvas are just ordinary ordinary people like you and me. We are people who begin to notice that being caught in the self-centered dream is only suffering. As we begin to drop the self-centered dream, we begin to recognize how intimately connected we are to everyone and everything. With this recognition, compassion just naturally begins to flow. But dropping the self-centered dream is such a process. I don't know about you, but I am perpetually picking it up again. In fact, I mostly live in the self-centered dream. But have you noticed the great joy experienced when you're able to drop your self preoccupations. There there is really nothing better than that. Suffering is relieved, even though the challenges of our life may remain. Living by vow begins with the the intention to drop the self-centered dream and service of relieving not only our own suffering, but also the suffering of all beings. Living by vow is a journey very difficult to do on your own, and I know because I tried to do it on my own before I came to Appa For one thing, we need each other to help keep us on track, but also because the essence of living by vow is our deep connection to one another and all of life. So what is a bodhisattva? The term means enlightenment being or awakening being. It is an ordinary person, just like you or me, who seeks the end of suffering not only for themselves, but for all beings. It is a being who lives by the bodhisattva vow. In his book, Living by Vow, Shohaku Okamura describes how uh, how any one of us can become a bodhisattva. He says, we become bodhisattvas when we arouse bodhicitta. Take bodhisattva vows and practice the six paramitas, the six perfections. So these are going to be the topics of my three Dharma talks on living by vow. And they will only scratch the surface of describing a bodhisattva way of life. But really, every Zen Buddhist Dharma talk you've ever heard or ever will hear is at its core about living by vow. The life of a bodhisattva begins with and is constantly supported by bodhicitta, and that's what I'd like to talk about today. Bodhicitta or bodhi mind means awakening mind or the mind of enlightenment. The Princeton Dictionary of Buddhism describes it as awakening to one's Buddha nature. Bodhicitta or Bodhi mind also refers to way-seeking mind. The way-seeking aspect of Bodhicitta is described by Shohaku Okamura in his book, Living by Vow. He says it is our human nature to question and to want to understand life. When we give way-seeking mind talks at Appamata, many of us begin by describing these first yearnings to understand. (laughs) Way-seeking mind Bodhicitta arose for Shakyamuni Buddha when he left the protection of his princely home and first witnessed sickness, old age, and death. It began for many of us as children laying in the grass, looking up at the night sky. Or maybe this yearning to understand occurred when a pet died and we were first confronted with the awesomeness of life and death. The way-seeking aspect of bodhicitta is an initial spark of a deep need to know what life is all about. The way-seeking aspect of bodhicitta doesn't end with this initial spark. It continues as ongoing motivation and support for living by the bodhisattva vow. There are other aspects of bodhicitta that make it indispensable to support uh, to support the bodhisattva vow. In her book, Start Where You Are, Pema Chodron descri- describes bodhicitta as awakened heart. She says bodhicitta has three qualities. One, it is soft and gentle, which is compassion. Two, at the same time, it is clear and sharp, which is called prajna or wisdom. Three, it is open. What Pema Chodron means by openness is the empty or boundless nature of everything. She says the warm heart quality of compassion pervades open boundlessness and the clarity of wisdom. She says that compassion, openness, and clarity are all one thing, and this one thing is bodhicitta. So what is the awakening bodhicitta mind awakening to? It is awakening to a desire to relieve the suffering of all beings. Pema Chodron states it like this in her book, No Time to Lose. She says, we want to end our personal suffering so we can help others put an end to theirs. This is the essence of bodhicitta. Norman Fisher in his book, Training and Compassion, describes bodhicitta like this. Bodhicitta is a feeling of love based on deep recognition that what we call self and what we call other are designations, concepts, habits of mind, not realities of the world. Real altruism isn't self-sacrifice for the benefit of others, a guilt-driven sense that we should be good, we should be nice, we should be kind. It is the profound recognition that self and other are not fundamentally different, only apparently different. So such noble aspiration seems hopelessly unattainable sometimes for really being honest with ourselves, but we don't really need to be concerned about that. Bodhicitta, awakening mind, rises and expands as we practice. As we sit zazen, as we practice the dharma in our daily lives, the self-centered dream begins to drop away and is very naturally replaced by bodhicitta. Pema Chodron says, even when we feel trapped in repetitive habits, we can feel kindness and empathy for others. When even a flash of bodhicitta is born, in that instant we become a child of the Buddhas. We have the support we need in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. No need to struggle, grasp, or worry. The arousing of bodhicitta is the most natural thing in the world. Just practice gently and wholeheartedly. Pinma Chodron des- describes the awakening bodhicitta Like this. She says, gentleness in our practice and our life helps to awaken bodhicitta. It is like remembering something. This compassion, this clarity, this openness are like something we have forgotten. Sitting here, being gentle with ourselves, we are rediscovering something. It's like a mother reuniting with her child. Having been lost to each other for a long, long time, they reunite. The way to reunite with Bodhicitta is to lighten up in your practice. So that surprised me a little bit, lighten up in your practice. She isn't saying practice isn't important. She is saying that practicing in a rigid, grasping way is not what arouses Bodhicitta bodhicitta arises when we approach practice with a kind and gentle attitude. In this quote, she describes what she means by gentle sitting practice. She says, meditation practice is a formal way in which you can get used to lightening up. I encourage you to follow the instructions faithfully, but within that form, be extremely gentle let the whole thing be soft don't worry about achieving don't worry about perfection just be there each moment as best you can this light touch is the golden key to reuniting with our openness in this environment of gentleness that that uh in this environment of gentleness that 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 bodhicitta is nourished and grows. I'm sorry, it it is in this environment of gentleness that bodhicitta is nourished and grows. Norman Fisher describes bodhicitta as being two types of compassion, absolute compassion and relative compassion. He describes absolute bodhicitta or absolute compassion as Absolute love, love is love that is bigger than any emotion, bigger than any object, so big there is no lover and no beloved. Absolute bodhicitta is the empty, perfect, expansive, joyful, spacious nature of existence itself. Then he goes on to describe relative bodhicitta or relative compassion as actually requiring a bit of work. It is the help and support we offer to the beings of the world. Maybe we offer food and clothing or other material support. Maybe we offer emotional support by listening to a friend or just being present with someone in distress. Maybe we devote our time and energy to helping create a more fair and equitable life for all beings. Maybe we do what we can to care for our planet that supports all of life. There is so much we can offer to our fellow beings and so much suffering in the world. We can easily become discouraged. This is where absolute, absolute boundless compassion steps in to help the work done by rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty, relative compassion. It allows us to access some equanimity. We offer what we can without expectation. Absolute bodhicitta and relative bodhicitta function together and are indispensable to one another. Norman Fisher says, Absolute and relative bodhicitta depend on each other as two sides of the same coin. Without absolute bodhicitta, relative bodhicitta will become forced and we will become angry and worn out. And without relative bodhicitta, absolute bodhicitta becomes a grand abstraction, a big lofty religious idea with no substance to it. At Apamata, we express bodhicitta as part of every service when we recite the echo. We offer the merit of our practice for the welfare of all beings everywhere. May all be relieved of suffering, free from fear, longing, aversion, and ignorance. And may we together with all beings realize the awakened way. This is an expression of bodhicitta. This expression of bodhicitta acknowledges that we do not practice for ourselves alone. We practice together for the benefit of all beings. Living by vow arises from bodhicitta. It arises from this awakening mind, from this warmly compassionate wisdom mind, from this boundless mind. It is bodhicitta that supports living by the bodhisattva vow in every moment. It is bodhicitta that helps us return to vow when we forget. It is the awakening intention that begins to guide our life. So... Bodhicitta, bodhisattva vows, living by vow. I would love to hear any questions, any thoughts, any experience, your own experiences with these things. So I open up the floor.
2: rosemary hi thank you
0: ellen where are you oh there you are (laughs) hey ellen thank you so much um what um so much of it spoke to me but what i think will be uh, i can focus on in my practice is the idea of approaching practice with with kindness gentleness um a light touch and the softness um that that um, is uh, those those qualities are probably not the most natural to me uh, in general as a person and um, so that's a wonderful uh, reminder so thank you thank you for the whole thing and thanks for
1: that thank you rosemary
2: Oh, i see maria <laughs> I I love that talk. It just made me kind of relax into my seat and into myself and um, there there was something about um, just letting go. I mean, I was just saying to Laurie a moment ago that I have a new bell and we're still getting to know each other and having an anxiety about, oh it's not quite right and oh that bell wasn't quite right there's something about just allow it to be the expression of that moment and arrive wholeheartedly and just drop everything away and just be so as i was listening to you i began to sort of unravel some of the tensions that were created through some of my miss <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of just really just just being fully present just being here just turning up wholehearted and just letting go of all those things that we carry around with us. And, and, and then and then there it is. There's that settled peacefulness. And so you kind of you kind of brought me back to myself. And I really appreciate appreciated that. So Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Maria.
2: And we have Geneve. <clears throat> Hi, <clears throat> I'll
3: try not to cough. <clears throat> <clears throat> so thank you for this, Ellen. And I am um, <clears throat> resonating with the same thing that Rosemary's talked about, which is how to be with oneself while sitting. And um, <clears throat> I was um, sitting this morning and I was thinking you know, I'm doing a really bad job of this. I'm really a bad Buddhist. I'm not really a good person for this thing, even though I love it so much. And, um, and you know, it seems like often when I hear <clears throat> what we're um, invited to do, I think, oh, uh, you know, like turning toward you, whereas I'm often turning away. <clears throat> And um, so I have a question, which is what does one do when one isn't feeling soft and kind Mm -hmm. or when one finds oneself being really irritable and short, how does one or when one doesn't feel love anywhere in the inside or outside, like what what do we do or how do we be or however you want to
1: good question i would love to hear some other people's answer to this as well uh, but first of all you do what you pretty much just said notice it and one of the lojong slogans we did recently that what you said made me think about it uh, oh how does that what is it exactly it was one we just did y'all who take this course uh, the one about every day is a new day so you just keep approaching it again and again. And I mean, nothing is finite. This isn't like the end for one thing. So just sort of holding that in awareness. And um, there is Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So you're not alone, which makes me think about uh, some other th- other things we study in Lojang. Tang Lin, I think is a great a great practice for exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes it's just the only thing because when I feel like really alone in whatever pain I'm in, it really helps me. Well, for one thing, breathe it in and breathe it out. My set for myself, but then to realize there are millions of people in the world who, who are going through this, like at this very minute <laughs> and to like, and then you can take it all, all of that in and breathe it all out. And everything starts to become spacious. So I guess that's one thing I would say is to sit in a little space, not to be quite so claustrophobic with it. Um, Also taking walks is also always good (laughs) being in nature. Uh, Other comments, what do other people like to do for this kind of thing? Kim? Yeah,
4: I'm I'm pretty convinced that you can't simultaneously hold those feelings of well nobody loves me and feeling unloved so just recognizing just going there where you are with that feeling seems to help me a lot and you know i've talked a lot about my grandson came into our garage and saw this big poster of a dragon and he said i'm scared and I was convinced at that moment he wasn't scared, but he was recognizing how he was feeling. He was talking about that. You know, some part of me is you know, is scared, but I'm not really scared. I just see that I'm scared, if that makes any sense. But it's a recognition that we keep talking about that can take the place of the actual being caught up with the feeling that that seems to help not to try to throw it away you know i keep a from your talk and and i keep wondering so how do you hold something gently
1: mm. well, you know that,
4: that's like a koan isn't it how do you because of the harder you try certainly that's not going to work and not trying that doesn't work so what do you do
1: well i guess you find the middle way <laughs> and uh and what I've been really noticing lately, at least in sitting on the cushion, uh, is simply physically relaxing. I mean, that makes such a big, such a big difference. Um, I don't know. Did that respond to what you, your question, Kim? Nelda.
5: Good morning um i know i've mentioned this several times before and and it's so significant to me i'll probably continue to mention it in one of the books that i've read recently that we were working with in depth in practice i came across a koan that has been um epiphanal for me and the koan is free a ghost and i have more than i like, of those moments where as much as I love the world, I don't love my life, or I don't love me, or, you know, you can just make up a thousand stories and I have them all. And after I came across that koan, when I bump up against those stories, or those moments, that koan comes up every time, free a ghost. And so I sit and ask myself in those really dark moments, especially. What ghost is here? What is this ghost? Who is this ghost? Where did it come from? How long has it been making its home with me? And um, what is it asking of me? What kind of freedom is it asking from me? I ask all kinds of questions about this ghost gently because it's a shown up for whatever reason for me to work with. Um, and I'm so grateful for that koan because it allows me more and more moments of release than I've ever had before. So whoever came up with that koan, however many millennia ago, years ago, I am ever so grateful and for this practice. Free a Ghost has been the focus of my practice now for several weeks. And I found that helpful, Jeanette. Laurie.
1: Thank you, Maria. Um
0: yeah, I was just gonna say with that kind of a Jeb probably knows what I'll say, but <laughs> um that I th- I think it's really important when we get into these thoughts of feeling unloved. To find some spaciousness around that, as as Kim was saying, it's like it's well, he said it a little bit different way than the way I look at it, but it's it's kind of the same idea. Is it's an aspect of us, so it's a part of us, or however you want to look at that, that needs tending. And if you think of children or animals, whatever you feel tender about, if you think of that voice as being a tender thing that you just love, it changes and you can be gentle with that and show care. And I think that a lot of times that creates more space and allows that voice to settle down and actually have a conversation too with that voice. What is it? What is it that you need right now? And the voice will come forward. I'm convinced most times I'm scared or I just need to be held, you know, and then carrying through on that uh, in terms of recognizing the voice or the part and actually feeling like you take care of it and, you know, say that you love it or hold it or whatever it needs and, and oftentimes needing it in that way because probably that that part Is something that hasn't been met in that way, that doesn't know that it's loved. And so it just needs the care that it's asking for from ideally from you. Sometimes it takes a little bit of practice with someone else helping you know the words to say that or how, how you approach that. But eventually you can do it yourself and say, yeah, I got you. know, I can,
1: you can hold that part.
2: Thank you, Laurie. Maria. Hi. Yeah. Um. I thought everyone was going to say a lot of what Laurie's just said. Um. About that tenderness and compassion, and uh, and and there's also that kind of thing when we feel angry, or unloved. It's not all of us that's feeling that. It's a part of us that's feeling that, and it's not who we are. And it's like it's when we identify it and, and kind of I find that when I really kind of join up with it and I become it. That's when I really struggle. So it's that taking that that backward step and just kind of really kind of seeing that it's not who I am. It's not all of me. It's a part of me. And also it's kind of like the weather. It's not going to stay there forever. This is going to pass it's going to pass it's because when we're angry or feeling really hurt, it can feel like forever. And it is just remembering that this too will pass. It might pass like a kidney stone. Like I often say, it it, it will, it will pass. And, um, and yeah, like Laurie said, it's that connecting. I often think, well, you know, when I'm really hurt or upset, I kind of stay on my own with it, but I found that it's, it's so helpful to connect with it and and to really kind of just be with somebody with it and it really helps calm those parts down that have jumped up and are, and are asking for something they're scared like Laurie said and afraid and they're wanting something there's something they're lacking they, they need some sort of nourishment so and sitting sitting always helps just to be with it but sometimes when we're too upset or too angry it's really hard to sit we have to go for a walk or connect or do something else you know that's uh that's not just being, you know, sitting down because that sometimes can make it worse, you know, and uh, we really need that connection or that movement, you know, some movement with it. But yeah, but sending lots of love to, to all those parts, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, that's my bit. <laughs> and uh, we have Anne next. <laughs>
6: yeah, thanks. Thank you so much, Ellen. I really appreciate this talk, and I so appreciate your flavor of teaching the Dharma. I, I'm i just so grateful for that, and I love that you've gone back to something that I I think a lot of us think of as really basic, but it's not. I guess it is. It's essential. It's elemental. It's It's foundational. Um, And it was very clear. I mean, you have a very clear style. I really appreciate that. Um, And I wanted also to say, to put in my two cents about what do I do with really difficult feelings and how do you be gentle? And I would mirror what Maria said. For me, it's sangha. For me, it's being with another person and that's not easy for me. That's not my default mode. Um, but it's, when we can't do that for ourselves or or whenever, I mean, um, to be able to be with somebody else and really feel yeah. that what Ellen was talking about the no separation that, and I think tenderness pretty automatically arises. Talk for me, talking to somebody else because it's a conversation, and they express their own hopes and dreams and and difficulties, and and that helps me um, realize that. I can feel tender, I do feel tender. That's a pretty natural response to that. And um, that's one way to to practice gently, to sit gently, I think. So thank you so much for
4: this Alan.
1: Thank you, Anne. Anybody else? See a hand, Becky. I
7: just wanted to say I came to apamada and have stayed with Abhimaata because of the Bodhisattva vow. Because of the idea that we're living it, not just believing in something, or you know, that it's not—it's not something that's a head thing at all. It really is what what we are living and knowing that other people are living from the same challenges that it is to live in this world with those vows, uh, that it really is very supportive. And I think that we give each other um, encouragement when we see each other's courage. And, and it's, it's, um, it's a deep and wondrous thing. And in terms of the being with other people, I just want to say, I've really missed sitting with people at all this week. And I'm so glad that we are here today, even though the electricity isn't. And, you know, at, at the, at this, uh, at Appamoda. And so I just want to say, I really continue to recognize the difference for myself when I, Sit without other people and without the interactions that we have that we're able to have. I really noticed that difference, and particularly as my practice in the world here—the very small world that our fourth floor is—that um, I I also really um, have experienced how the work that I'm doing can drain me if I don't recharge and being with all of you is part of that because I think as you said being together helps us remember who we are. So that's all
6: thank
7: you. And thank you so much for this talk.
1: Welcome. Thank you for your contribution
2: it reminds me of of what flint was talking about the other week who am i without you when you were talking about sangha
1: and uh, i think it was maria just put in chat a reminder that we will be uh we will be online there's still no power at apamata Zendo, but we will be online practicing together tomorrow Any more thoughts on this topic? Going, going, go on. No, there's Nelda.
5: <laughs> Just one more thing I want to add. I'm so grateful to all of you and to. Each one who has the courage and the vulnerability and the trust to come forward with what you're sitting with now. It, it it enlightens me, grows me, opens my heart, and allows me to practice with myself individually in the world. I can't tell you how much it means when you come forward. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and thank you to all of you. And I'll turn it over to Maria.